What's up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan Podcast. So today we have Jennifer Ives on the mic, and Jennifer and I are here today to talk about becoming a leader who people will follow through these hard times. So Jennifer, let's hop right in. All right, Jennifer, so tell us one thing about yourself that most people don't know. Yeah, so um, I think the world has become very small and there's a lot of travel and a lot of people from different countries doing lots of different things to each other, with each other, in in relation to each other. Um, When I was young, that wasn't as much the case. And my parents, um, I thought everyone was born with a passport. My dad worked internationally. And so I just assumed that when you were a baby, you got a social security number and a passport uh, (laughs) photo. And because I have passport photos that go back to, you know, when I was just a baby. Um, So by the time I was, I don't know, five, I'd probably been on... Um, at least half of the continents and traveled to many different parts of the world and really almost took that for granted and didn't know that there was a different way of life and that until I got into grade school and realized that a lot of my friends hadn't done as much traveling. So I had been exposed to lots of different um, foods and cultures and um, religions and uh, people and geographies uh, at a really young age. And so um, since then, I've backpacked around the world, uh, different pieces of the world alone uh, a few different times. And I think that when I share that with people, they're like, oh, right. Yeah. You went with like five other people on a summer or something. I'm like, nope, it was just me and my backpack. I met people along the way um, and just really uh, and enjoyed myself that way. So yeah, you can, you can drop me and my backpack into almost uh, any setting around the world. And I, I can, I, I find that if you smile and you have good intention, no matter the language, if you don't know the language, <laughs> you'll find someone who can help you. <laughs> yeah. Most of them will speak a little bit of English anyways, right? <laughs> <laughs> not always, not yeah, always, no. but I do find that with a big open smile and a big open heart, um, you can, I, I've met incredible people. I've, I've, um, you know, gone, gone home with people that I've met at train stations and their family opened up their home to me and fed me that night and, <laughs> and had me at their house for three days, uh, on, you know, in places around the world that, uh, just, just incredible, incredible love and generosity, uh, in, in some pretty amazing places. That's awesome. Well, I do have to ask a follow-up question with that. So was your dad in the military? Is that why you were traveling so often? He wasn't, he was an environmental scientist, environmental engineer. And so wow. when I was little, he used to work, um, um, behind the Iron Curtain, he was a water resource oh, wow. engineer, and he would bring clean water and the, the the World Bank, and then an organization called Resources for the Future. Uh, um, you know, had him go around the world and really help um, communities around the world who didn't have access to clean water and. and they used his brains for that. And so again, um, until I was in first grade, I thought my dad might be a spy because whenever he came home from doing the work that he was doing, um, the FBI and CIA would often uh, come and interview him and ask him about some of the work that he was doing. So I went wow. into first grade thinking like, hmm, my dad says he's a scientist, but I wonder if he's a spy. He wasn't a spy. Yeah, I've seen James Bond. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't a spy. <laughs> That's kind of funny. We had uh, another lady on our show had that almost that exact same story obviously different situation but she's like I still to this day think my dad was a spy like that's so funny my dad was a contractor so I mean there was no question what he was doing (laughs) that is awesome well Jennifer let's let's talk a little bit about your journey I mean you know we've talked about a little bit before this call you know I should have recorded some of it but uh, (laughs) but when it comes to your story how did you end up working with three pillars and, and getting into the leadership space in general Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. So the CEO founder of three pillar, David DeWolf is a pretty incredible person. And, um, we're, we're both based in the DC area. We live here in the DC area and, um, 
he and I connected through mutual friends and he was looking for someone who had a technology background with business, right? A business and a technology background right. to come and lead the largest um, portfolio, P&L for the largest portfolio in the company. Um, the company was also at an inflection point where they were kind of hitting their next uh, growth phase. And that's really what I love to do is help technologies, I'm sorry, help companies build, um, build out technologies and from a business perspective, really hit those hockey sticks and, and go forward. Um, and so he and I met and I just, I loved everything that they were doing. They were three pillar at three pillar. We build digital products, consumer driven digital products, heavy, heavy data on the back end and in the background, beautiful user experience, user, you know, product, consumer driven products on the front end. And we do so for some pretty amazing companies, both on the emerging startup edge of the world, which no one knows the names of those companies until they're purchased for a billion dollars. And we say, yes, right. they're our client. Now you know the name <laughs> of them. But also like LexisNexis, PBS, if you've ever interacted with PBS anywhere, not on a television screen, that is the, the digital, those are our digital products that we designed for them. And uh, it was just a really wonderful opportunity to, um, I, I come from a technology background and to have so many technologies and different clients accessing product, digital product in different ways and, and working with our product teams to build those technology, build those platforms for our clients. Just an incredible opportunity. So that's, you know, I, I joined the team a little over three years ago and haven't looked back. It's, it's been, it's been pretty amazing. And now you're, you're VP over technology. Is that what your role is? I, well, I have a new role in 2020. I'm the SVP, so Senior Vice President of Global Partnerships. I joined as the, 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 the SVP of software and security, and I led that portfolio for um, a, a while, a good while in the world of technology. Things move very quickly. We follow agile business practices. So after about a year and a half, we then um, kind of rearranged our portfolios. And then um, I took on the role of leading all of revenue generation, all of sales for the company. And then I moved into this new role that the board and David DeWolf, our founder, has asked, you know, they've asked me to lead for the company, which is global partnerships. And these are really corporate partnerships with both large organizations and smaller organizations organizations and again hitting that inflection point and um, we just had a, a large funding event a couple of months ago and we're 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 doing some pretty amazing things in the world and, and really excited about it so I'm excited about my new role it's great <laughs> well, and you've, you've got a really awesome background because like you said, you started in engineering and you've worked your way into the business environment. Now you're really one of the top dogs, right? <laughs> um, but on top of that, I mean, you've also got a passion for helping um, women in the tech sector, right? You were talking about that a little bit. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I, I, know, I know quite a, so I'm going to give a background here for you. This is another background point. It's how I know you from the tribe of Titans, right? <laughs> so um, it was really fun to see that when Jennifer entered the tribe of Titans, she actually brought some women from the tech sector with her to our community. And that was a really cool um, experience. So tell us a little bit about that and, and you know, what you're doing on that front. Yeah. Oh, thank you for mentioning it. So as a woman in technology, you know, um, when I was earning my undergraduate degree, I think, you know, and again, statistics, depending upon um, who, you know, where you do, how you pull the research, but let's just say about 30% of women were earning STEM degrees. That was a number of years ago. And now, again, depending upon the numbers you pull, it's about 11%. And that is shocking to me and it's not okay. Um, 
the world is filled with technology and the economy is filled with technology. And to know that women make up 50% of the world, 50% of the workforce, and that 11%, again, even if you were to say, well, maybe it's 20%, Jennifer, it doesn't matter. It's right, not it's enough. <laughs> it's still tiny. And that's not okay. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for um, the community, society. It's not good on so many levels. And it's not good for business. We know that when businesses have a diverse leadership team, when they have diversity amongst their entire company, that they perform better. There are plenty of studies that show over and over again that they perform better. So if you just want to look at the business numbers, it makes sense. If you want to talk about what's good and the right thing to do, it also makes sense. So from a women in technology perspective, it's just really important to me that um, in particular, I love working with middle, um, middle school and high school girls, so that young women, so that they understand what it looks like, what a career in technology looks like. Because oftentimes they don't think of themselves as technologists when they're that age. They think of themselves as just enjoying, you know, fill in the blank. And I'll often say to them, you know what, in order to make that happen, there's technology involved, there's software involved. And they don't not know that. They just don't think of themselves in those ways. And so if you can get them thinking that way ahead of college or ahead of certificate programs or whatever they're going to do next after high school, just getting them in the mindset that they are a technologist, that they too, that technology isn't just for 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 the boys in their class. It's really important. And then also in, in the world of business, um, as, as a woman in technology and then also as a woman in leadership, this is, these are two things that, I, that meld together and that I really am passionate about. And it was always someone else. Luckily, I had really amazing people in my life, in my career, who encouraged me to the next level. To be honest, some of whom didn't care. Some of whom, weren't, they cared about the business and they saw that I could do something and so they made the suggestion. Other people did care. And so I don't necessarily think that it matters how someone encourages you, just that they're encouraging you and seeing right. the potential and saying, you know, this is, it's your time, you're ready for this. When sometimes you're not feeling maybe that you're quite ready for that next step. So I've had some pretty amazing people in my life do that with me um, and mentor me in those ways and then, and then provide lots of leadership development along the way. I want to be there and do that for others and other, in particular women. So I participate with a number of groups that, that help, help women in leadership and women in technology. And, and I find it fun and it's great. And I, I, in particular, I, I love to, to mentor female founders of tech companies that any given time I'm, I'm helping and advising and lending, you know, lending some experience to them as well as they go from idea to starting, uh, starting a pretty cool business. Yeah. And that's so awesome because a, the reward of that is multiple fold, right? You're helping the startup, but you're also helping the ladies herself, the lady herself to be able to, to accomplish those goals. That's so awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wanted to have you share with that piece of it because when we were talking beforehand, I, I can tell it's something you're extremely passionate about. Um, and I think that's the reason why people flock to you over that <laughs> because you're, you know, you're bringing something to the table that's something that you believe in, but also something you, you're a data scientist as well, right? So you understand, Hey, this is the numbers back it, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes people just come at it with the emotional side instead of the, the logical side as well. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, another point I, I wanted to, so I actually did my MBA in DC as well. So there's a, there's a touch point for us. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's straight. You... Okay. My goodness, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. great. Well, so it was interesting though. So I, uh, the Jack Welch Management Institute is one of their, that's, I did my MBA there. And 
he, so Jack Welch's leadership style, he talks a lot about what you were just mentioning, you know, when it comes to the, the incentivizing or, or helping give people that, that motivation it's it's sometimes twofold because like you said, you know, for you, it, sometimes it was just so they could improve the business by putting you in that role. But other times it was because they wanted to help you. Um, but what was really interesting is like you said, they're both good forms of motivation and what Jack Welch taught that I really loved was he talked about how the, you know, on the creative side of things, if you want to motivate people with creativity, it doesn't have anything to do with money. It has everything to do with the, uh, with social, um, I guess, stimulus or social, like giving them a social environment, a social reward, and then a, a financial reward if you want them to do more technical things. And I, I was thinking about your situation with that. I think that just totally relates. <laughs> So oh, it, it does. Yeah, no, it, it does. And like I said, I've, I've had people who encouraged me along the way because it was good for business and I could do something that they needed done. And they saw that there was a, a hole that they needed to fill and, and I was able to help them with that. And then other times it's been, um, you know, that someone really encouraged me for personal reasons. No, no, you, you can do this. You're ready for this. I, I strongly suggest that you, that you throw your hat in the ring. Yeah. And, you know, look at you now, right? So you're like, it's a good thing, good thing you did, right? <laughs> um, and I, I love that you were able to take those steps. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of your methodology and, and what you're teaching to startup founders, because you and I had a really interesting conversation about this beforehand, about, you know, the pivots and, and applying the correct ideas and not getting off the, off the beaten path. And, and I want to start first by asking you, because one of the biggest problems that as entrepreneurs we have is that we run into that shiny object syndrome, right? We're chasing ideas like crazy. So what, what are you typically, how do you address that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love entrepreneurs so much and I love supporting them. That's I, I, um, you and I talked about that just a little bit. I, I was really made to help people take ideas and do great things with them. And you have to be able to pivot. You have to be really comfortable with, um, having an idea, putting it out into the market quickly, get it to market quickly, and then being able to see um, what the opportunity might be. And it might not be the opportunity you think, and you cannot get wedded to your idea. I have seen many, many entrepreneurs so wedded to their idea. Um, this, is the, this is the idea. This is what's going to do it. This is and then they put it in the market and the market doesn't accept it for some reason. I mean, there are lots of, lots of good reasons that, that a good idea doesn't get accepted. And if you are unable to see what that is, remove the emotion from it and, and pivot into a new piece of that product or pivot onto a new piece of the market, uh, you, you just won't succeed. And by the way, products at three pillar, we, we talk about this all the time. Products are never done. They're always evolving. They're always chasing, uh, changing. Clearly, we work on, you know, with digital products. We've got consumer-driven digital products out in the market that we're designing. But um, even a physical product, it's never done. You're always tweaking. You're always iterating. You're always um, listening to the consumer, listening to the audience that you are presenting it to to see how they react to it and what they're using and what they're not using. And I, I just... Um, I, I see entrepreneurs sometimes just get so wedded to their idea that they don't, um, that they don't pivot. And sometimes it, sometimes by the time they pivot, it's too late. The market, the, the, the opportunity has left. The competitors have already come in and, and seen the opportunity and taken a, taken great advantage of that opportunity. And, um, that's the other piece is that you have to, um, be really willing to, to pivot, um, 
pretty, pretty quickly because the market can be taken away from you pretty quickly. So let me ask you this question because I think pivoting is such a vague word Mm. because sometimes some people are saying, Oh, well, that does that mean I have to go from selling baby bottles to, I don't know, like Frisbees or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like what, uh, what type of pivot do you usually recommend to people? Are they typically large pivots or are they more kind of, um, I guess the way they're selling the product, for example, like, Hey, we're still selling baby bottles. We're selling it to a different niche or what's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Cause sometimes it, it, uh, it, it can be <laughs> one or the other, right? Sometimes the pivots, pivots to me do mean that, that it is a, a bit of a larger move that you're making. Tweaking and iterating, right? Are those smaller, you're moving along um, and you're, you're tweaking, you're iterating, you're making small changes and, and may, you know, as, as you're turning, you thought you're going to turn right, but you're turning left instead, but you're doing it, um, a little bit at a time in line with what the market's asking for. And then sometimes, especially, you know, this is a, 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 a good example to use with COVID-19, there are a number of technologies that may have been used in the hospitality industry that no longer have any customers that, that, that same technology, those plat, the platform, the, the data related to it, maybe you've got a data lake that was unrelated and now it's, it's, and then you take a hard, sharp, right turn because you have to, you see in the market. And again, I think COVID-19 is a, it's a good example of really looking at what the services that you provide in the world. In my case, it's, it's, you know, we were working with companies who are digital first companies and how are they going to take that hard turn to address what's going on in the market right now? In the past, pre-COVID-19, uh, it really would depend on the industry. But I think that's a really good question. If you can take these small, you can iterate a little bit at a time. And then sometimes you need to, to take a hard, a hard turn. And I will tell you, I've also learned that. Um, so I'll tell you some of the things that I, that I haven't done well and I've learned from them. Um, the, it, it, I'm not so sure it has to do with the pivoting, but many times you can go out to market with a product and you see that the technology <laughs> can be used for many different buyers, many different industries. And um, I have, learned that go deep into one industry, um, keep your options open. That's why I'm always a fan of companies that have someone with their eye on strategic growth and markets that are kind of 18 months off because you need to, it's really important to make sure that you have your line of, of customers and clients, but that you also see how your technology or your service you're offering can work in other industries so that you can, um, if there is, I mean, this is unprecedented. Um, so in the past, I wouldn't have said COVID-19, but so that you can, in fact, move into different industries if you need to and sell to different people, but really make sure that you have your base. But always, I, again, I'm a big fan of companies that have heads of strategic growth or if the chief revenue officer or chief operating officer or the CEO um, is looking ahead 18 months to see what else is out there and, and really kind of bird dogging what else is going on um, with that particular technology to see who else that product can be used for. Yeah. And, and I love that concept because it, like you're saying, it's more about diving deep instead of wide when it comes to, to the niche. Cause I know that one of the problems that a lot of the people that we work with, they, 
they'll come to market with a product before they even know if there is a market for the product, yeah. um, especially in the online sector. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, the advantage of you know, people like us who've been in, in that space or we've done you know, the, the higher education, for example, we understand that, well, you don't, you don't bring a product to market if there's not a market for it yet. <laughs> right. um, and that market research is a hugely important phase. But what you're talking about is saying, hey, how do we double down and make this product better, make those iterations better? so that the product is perfect for that, that niche of people. And then you yeah. can eventually expand. <laughs> well, and, and even the, the use of the word perfect, nothing's ever perfect, right? So true, and yeah. don't let that be the enemy of getting something out, right? Don't, don't yeah. wait on perfection. Put something into the market and see how people are reacting to it, see how the market reacts to it so that you can iterate and you can, I, I know we're, we're speaking, you know, a lot of people talk about iteration, you know, iterate and pivot and it means put your product into the market, see how people react and then make some tweaks along the way to, to adjust that product to what needs, what the needs really are. Yeah. I love that. And, and really one of the things that when it comes to, you know, your audience in general, and when you're, when you're working with those niches is it has everything to do with, with your feedback and the way that you're actually communicating with, with the people that you're working for. And I think, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier with that when it comes to, you know, the COVID-19 situation, this has kind of forced everybody to have to start being more, um, more social, weirdly enough, even though we have to be quote unquote, less social. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's this, it's this interesting space where you're right. We were talking about it before that, that we're working virtually, we're meeting virtually, we're working with each other virtually. And yet there's this proactive humanness that you need to bring to Every meeting you attend, whether it's internal, external, every interaction needs more humanness than before. And um, it's been really interesting to see how companies and leaders and team members react to the, the, the virtual um, the, the, the situation that we're in right now where everyone is physically separated. And what I've loved seeing is that, you know, as leaders, um, it's really important to be incredibly communicative, over-communicate, um, be incredibly transparent about what's going on in the business and to really lead by design and lead by your, your own actions around making sure that people are feeling that humanness. Um, we are doing things like we have lunch rel- let where you put your name in a Google Doc and three names are chosen at random and you get to have lunch virtually with your team members who, by the way, when I participated and I immediately put my name back in after lunch because I wanted to be um, put back into, into the rotation, um, I got to have lunch with two of my colleagues that I don't really get to see a lot. I get to see them in the hallway or, and I had the whole hour with them and it was so beautiful to hear what makes them tick and understand what, what their families are doing and how are they doing working from home and what was the last vacation they went on and just all these wonderful things. But, um, it is, it is really important. The humanness of, of where we are today with the virtual interactions. Yeah. I love that. Well, as, as kind of a signing off piece of advice here for us, Jennifer, I'd I'd like you to kind of touch on what people should be doing in regards to COVID-19 and pivoting. I mean, is this Mm -hmm. the time to pivot? Like what's kind of your biggest piece of advice on that? Yeah, it's, it's the time. It's absolutely the time to pivot. Um, you, there's no choice. The market and what's happening in the world is dictating. So you can't, um, what, what is, what is interesting about this time is that there is no ability to 
put your head in the sand or say, oh, I'll just wait on this for eight weeks. It, it, the new normal is going to be a very different normal than it was eight weeks ago and what we're living today. And in two months from now, it will be different from today. But I don't believe that we're ever going to get back to where we were eight weeks ago or 12 weeks ago or, um, you know, Q, Q4. Um, so to have the ability to just understand where you are as a company, as, as a business, whether you're a small business or a large business, and really think through right now, there, there is no option. There is no option to not pivot. Like you just, you don't have that. You don't have that ability. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all that wisdom with us. And before we sign off though, could you let us know where we can connect with you? Um, a website or potentially a LinkedIn? How would you like us to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn, Jennifer Ives with Three Pillar Global. So I think the handle on LinkedIn is actually Jennifer Ives with the number one. So Jennifer Ives one. Um, I am on Twitter, but again, it's really noisy. So I do have a Twitter handle. I'm rarely on Twitter, but it is at I am Jives, J-I-V-E-S, I-A-M Jives. <laughs> uh, and then our, our website, absolutely. You can find us at threepillarglobal.com and that's three, the number three, not spelled out. So threepillarglobal.com. And you know, if anyone has questions about software and, and um, consumer-driven uh, digital products, absolutely let us know know. We're happy to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jennifer. Yeah, Josh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Be well. The number one needle mover in my business is joint venture partnerships. Growing a following can be time consuming and frustrating. For that reason, we created the Tribe of Titans, the world's first joint venture matching platform. Using this free platform, you can find guests for a podcast, YouTube channel, or Facebook group, or you can promote your brand, product, or service in one simple place. You can create your free account at tribe.theluckytitan.com. Once again, that's tribe.theluckytitan.com.